with uh, the songs that we sing and the music that comes out, because this is fairly new, I mean the last several years, but the ideas are carried over from one generation to the next. For instance, those of us who were, um, we were using the word experienced earlier today. Those of us who were more experienced, we used to sing a hymn that said exactly the same thing. Do you remember what it was? Except it was different. What was it? I need thee every hour, oh precious Lord. Okay, there it is. Same idea, right? Is it God? Okay, there it is. That's the same idea. It's just the next generation, those of us who are less experienced, came along and rewrote it into their own. I like that because the ideas about God, the concepts of walking with him, they don't change, do they? And if they do change, if something new shows up, it's not good and it's not right because there is nothing new. Our Father is the same. Now, how we express that is different. All this is is a new generation expression of the old so you get to decide which one you want to put in your head for the rest of the day. This song or I Need Thee Every Hour. Oh, by the way, you have somewhere, it's called Light and Life. This is the uh, denominational magazine. It's actually an award-winning magazine. It, it wins awards every particular year because it's a great magazine. And if you want to work on your Spanish, all you got to do is flip it over because there's La Zivita. And, and so Light and Life, La Zivita, Light and Life, La Zivita, okay? And you can work on your Spanish right there. Perfect. There you go. Well, once again, it's great to have you here. My name is Doug Bailey. I'm the lead pastor of the church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to do that before the day is over. And like I said, we've got lots of people that are uh, on vacation, kind of the last camping trip of the season, although I understand a few people are going next week as well. That's very smart because it'll be um, less crowded next weekend. All right, here we are yesterday. How many of you watched a little college football? Anybody watching college football yesterday? Okay. Big college, and next week is the kickoff of the NFL, so here we go, it's, it's that season, and it happens to really work really well with the first little illustration we want to talk about, because in 1961, 19, what, 55 years ago, Vince Lombardi, famous coach, got his crew together, 38 players in July for training camp, and the first thing he did is he held up a football to all of these men, and this is what he said. What did he say? Men, you know this one well. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. Now, that seems strange to say to a group of professional football players. More than that, you might think it's because they were just so really bad that the previous year they'd been terrible, and he's trying to get them to understand. No, as a matter of fact, the year before, 1960, they almost won it all. They came within a few points of winning the entire thing. These were some of the very best. They were the second best football team in all of football. And yet he starts his training camp holding up a football. And he says, gentlemen, this is a football. Because he understood that to be as good as you're supposed to be, you need to master the basics and the fundamentals. In fact, they did that so well that that year, they went on to win it all. They were the champions. He had a couple of ideas. He had that you focus in on the fundamentals and that, that you take simple ideas and you understand them deeply. That that's the best way to lay the foundation to play a football game. Keep it in the fundamentals, simple ideas, understand them deeply, and build on that. Well, guess what? 
It works for Christianity too. Not footballs, but basic ideas and fundamentals. Sometimes we, we get so caught up in the, um, maybe the important things of Christianity, but maybe not the fundamentals. Maybe they're not as fundamental as we really need to be. There was a church that Jesus talked about in the book of the Revelation that had, um, had the appearance of a church, but they had unfortunately walked away from the basic fundamental of their existence. And this is what Jesus had to say to them right here in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He says, yet there's one thing wrong. You don't love me as at the first. Think about those times of your first love. How different now. And turn back to me again. And work as you did before, or else I'm going to come and remove your candlestick from its place among the churches. In other words, you messed up on the basics. You may be doing all the other things. Maybe you have a great worship service. Maybe doing all these things that, that you need to do, but you messed up on the basics. That's why we're going to start a new series, and hopefully we're going to get the PowerPoint to work here in just a second. We'll get there. They're working on it right now. I can see them scrambling around in the back trying to figure out what happened. It worked before. Trust me, it did. Are we going to put it back into a pro presenter or are we going to try to run it? We're, not, we're just going to, we're going to give up, aren't we? We're just going to, oh, you keep working at it. Anyway, the series is called Back to Basics. What we're going to do is for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the basics. Now, there's lots of different things when we're talking about the study of God, theology. There's, let me give you a, a list here of uh, the types of theology. There is called, there's something called exegetical theology. Now, that is where you study God. Oh, there it is, back to basics. Next screen over here, if it'll work. Or it won't. The uh, <laughs> exegetical theology. Now, what that means is you, is you try to understand God almost verse by verse throughout the Bible. You start in Genesis, you go all the way through the book of Revelation. It's called exegetical theology. Then there's something called historical theology. Historical theology is where you try to understand God through, hey, we got there, perfect, through the history of how God has dealt with his people in the church from the very beginning. Then you could do something called systematic theology, which is now gone, but it'll be back. Systematic theology is where you think about ideas and you kind of organize the whole thing of theology and thought and, and you write about it. And then there's something called practical theology. And practical theology is more like uh, how we work it out in our lives and preaching and all that kind of stuff with practical theology. All the different theologies, books upon book upon book upon book of theologies and how to do it. And there, those are the approaches that we use to study some of the main ideas of theology. How about this one? Biblical anthropology. That means studying human beings according to what the Bible says. Sorteriology. Isn't that a great word? Sorteriology. We, we have to study and learn all these things. All these, we don't use these terms very often except when we're writing to our professors and stuff like that. But sorteriology is the study of salvation. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. Eschatology is the study of last days. Missiology is the study of missions and going out into the world. Hamartiology, anybody know what hamartiology is? It is the study of, no, you two don't count. Anybody else? It's the study of sin. Hamartia is sin. So hamartiology is the study of what exactly does it mean to sin? All of these, it's incredible. 
all the books that have been written, I've got my shelf, and I've gotten rid of so many of my theology books. I used to really be into systematic theology, and, that's, and I got rid of them a long, long time ago. If you want some books, I've got historical, I've got systematic, you can borrow them, you're welcome to them, all right? So many ideas, pages, you know what? We're not going to do that. Because the title of this series is, remember this, it's the title called Back to Basics. Back to Basics. For the next several weeks, we're going to look at these. Here's the basics, ready? The Bible and God. The Trinity. The Bible and God. Now, we could stay in these subjects for years, but we're not trying to tell you everything there is about these. Just the basic truths, because that's what we're going to build on for the rest of our lives. It's what we're going to build on for the rest of our walk with Christianity. It's got to be the basics, the very basic truths. Ready? Here we go. Let's see how basic you can be. Describe, you don't have to shout it out, but right now in your mind, if you want to, shout out if you want to. Describe our country in one word. Let's see if you can bring it down to the very basic idea, one word of our country, one word, what would that word be? By the way, it's very possible that I can tell you who you're going to vote for based on the word you choose. Because if, yes, if someone says it's a mess, it's horrible, downhill, probably I know where you're going to go, okay? It's just that simple. It's okay, so that one word will tell me a few things about who you are. How about this? See if you can describe yourself in one word. Up and down. Hyphenated, up and down. Okay, that'll work as one word. Okay. Now, the word that you choose is going to tell me how you feel about yourself. It's also going to tell me why you do what you do. It's going to explain much about you. If you can just get it down to that basic idea of one word to describe yourself. Okay, how about this? Now we're getting right to it. Describe Christianity in one word. One word. What's the basic word that you're going to use to describe Christianity? Now, okay? You could choose love, and I heard Jesus. That's pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. How you answer will reveal what you really know about the basics of Christianity. Here we go. Ready? Now we're into your sermon notes if you want to use them. There they are. The best word to describe the basic truth of Christianity is not love. Now that, that may rankle some of you. I understand because... It, it seems like it should be love is the whole idea behind Christianity. But the problem is that's not really a great word to use. And let me explain to you why. There's a better word. We'll look at it. Why this isn't the best word. Here, how about this? Love is misunderstood and therefore misused. Whenever we say, well, well Christianity is all about love. Now, to, to the average American, what in the world does that mean? Our language doesn't really reflect a true picture of what love is. For, for instance, um, I can tell you that I love prime rib, and I love the Dodgers, and I love my dog, and I love America, and I love my wife, and I love God, and something is wrong with that particular word when I can say all of that at once. Because I don't mean the same thing. I certainly don't love God the same way I love the Dodgers. 
maybe prime rib, but not the Dodgers. <laughs> and yet I use the same word. What did I mean? It's, it's not really a word that's understood very well, and so we misuse it. But more than that, love sometimes, love can make it all about me. This is what we do with that particular word. For instance, imagine you are um, dating and courting, and maybe even now, even after you've been married for a while, and your spouse turns to you and says, why do you love me? Now, that's a loaded question anyway, okay? Because I mean, you're, you're thinking, oh, my word, what's, what am I going to... You know what they could actually be saying? Tell me the good things about me that make me worthy of your love. Explain to me why I am worthy of your love. I want to know the good things you see in me, and what do you see in me that makes you love me, which means love has become all about me and who I am and why I'm worthy of your love. Imagine this scenario now. You're courting, you're dating, you've been married for a while. Your spouse turns to you and says, why am I worthy of your love? And you answer, you're not. In fact, you're kind of a creep. I love you not because of who you are. I love you because of who I am. I love you not because of you. I love you because of me. It's not that you're so great. I love you because of who I am. So you're not worthy of my love at all. What would you do? In the relationship, right? <laughs> Except, hold on. That's exactly how God answers that question. Father, why do you love me? Why am I so worthy of your love? And he says, you're not. I don't love you because of you. I don't love you because you're great. You're not. I don't love you because you're pure. You're not. I don't love you because you're holy. You're not. I love you because of who I am. I love you because it's me and not you. You don't deserve my love. I give you my love not because you deserve it. I give you my love because that's who I am and I choose to do it. I don't have to do it. I do it because of me, not because of you. We call that, ready, grace. The best word to describe the basic truth of Christianity is not love. It is grace. It means we can, we can uh, God's unmerited favor. It just means that, that you don't deserve it. When you get something by grace, it means you don't deserve this thing. If you deserve it, if you've earned it, we call it wages. But if you don't deserve it, and you haven't earned it, and you get it anyway, we call it grace. I will give you something not because you've earned it, but because I love you. And I love you not because you've earned my love, but because I want to give you my love. That is grace, and that is the very basic truth 
Christianity. And it's going to change the way you live if you let it. Take a look at this passage. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word meaning Jesus Christ. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And then it goes on to say this. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Other translations say grace upon grace. In other words... Everything we have, when Jesus Christ comes to us, everything that He gives us, everything the Father gives to us, all of us, it doesn't mean everybody in this room, it means every single solitary human being that is on the planet today receives good things from God, not because they've earned it or deserved it, but by grace. Because God is a gracious God. And by grace, He gives, not because He has to be wages, not because we've earned it. Never be wages. He gives because that's who He is. It's all about Him and not about me. goes on to say this, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When we listened to Moses, we, we heard some of the requirements and we got the law, and, but when Jesus Christ came, we understood, oh my See, when we hear the law, sometimes what we want to do is try to feel that we earn God's benefit by following His law. Okay, now I'll follow this law and this law and this law. God will be gracious to me. He'll give me something. Boom, you just earned it. God didn't give it to you. You earned it. Wages, I earned it by following your law. Now give me. Jesus comes along and corrects that and says, no. No. There's no gimme here. First of all, you can't follow my law. And even if you did, that wouldn't make you good enough. I'm going to give you things because that's who I am. And you'll never deserve it. You'll never be good enough. But I'll always give. Because that's grace. Let me show you a few things about grace. First of all, he loves us by his grace. Okay? He loves us because of him, not because of us. Here, if, if we were to say, why am I worthy of your love? He would say, you're not worthy of my love. Are you kidding? You're a sinner. I give you my love because that's who I am. That's who I am. Take a look at this passage. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, okay, you're worthy now. You've, you've earned the right for me to love you. And you've earned the right for my son to die for you. He said, you have never earned it. You never will earn it. You never will be good enough. But guess what? I'm going to love you anyway. Not because of you. Me. That's who I am. Gracious, loving God. How about this? He calls us by His grace. Every single one of you have been called by God into a relationship. Do you think He called you because He looked at all humanity and said, you know what, of all the people on the planet, I want you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're the best, you come to me. These other people haven't earned it, they're not good enough, you come to me. No. He called you because He did. Not because you've earned it or deserved it or had anything to offer more than other people? He just did. 
Paul writes about that when he says, but when God who set me apart from birth had called me by his, what? Grace. Now, what that means is, don't ever think to yourself, Paul was called because he was the smartest. Paul was called because he was the best. Paul was called because he was actually this, this superstar, just kind of a diamond in the rough, and, and God could see all the potential and knew that he would be better than anybody else. That's why he called him. That wouldn't be grace any longer, would it? It would be because Paul was so good and so superior and so much better than other human beings. That's why he called him. And yet Paul says, no, it was by grace. I'm not better. I'm not superior. You know why God called me? Here it is. Because he did. It's up to him, not me. Nothing that I did. Do you think we who preach the gospel and are called to, to lead the church did so or were called because God looked at all of the people in the congregation and said, I'm going to go for the best and the brightest. Trust me, I know a lot of pastors. We're not the best and the brightest. It's true. You know why God called us? Because he did. Could have been you. I don't know why it wasn't you. There's no reason why it wasn't you instead of I. There's no reason. If there was a reason, then it is no longer by what? Yeah, there's no reason. It's not because I'm smarter or better. If I've got more education, it's because the church has set me free to go back and pick up many, many years of education. But you could have done the same thing if God had called you. Why? By God's grace. Nothing to do with me or you. It's by His grace. And then how about this? When he calls each one of us, guess what? I respond by what? What do you think? Grace. Do you think you had the ability once God called you to go, okay, I'm going to turn to my father? You don't. None of us do. Did you ever get that idea in your head that, you know what, remember when, when, you, when you weren't in a relationship with God and you said to yourself, you know, I really need that relationship with God. Did you think that idea came from you? Where did it come from? God, did he do it because you earned it? No, he did it because of, what's the word? Grace. He's going to call you by grace, and then you can't even turn to him, so he's going to give you the ability to turn to him. Not because you've earned it, you haven't done anything yet, but because that's the way God works. Take a look at this passage, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can... The faith that you have in God right now, did you think it came from you? Where did it come from? Where did it come from? Did it come because you've earned it? God gave you the faith to believe in Him because you've earned it? God gave you the faith to believe in Him because of the word what? Grace. You see? You see how basic this is? And then... I'm justified by his grace. You know what justified means? Justified means uh, forgiven. It means the, the, the slate wiped clean. It means uh, uh, we know that we come with all these kind of sins and everything, and, and, and he wipes those, those sins completely gone and the, the slate is cleaned off, and is it because I've given a lot of money and, and I've, I've prayed a lot and I'm, I'm now a better person and I've earned the right to be forgiven? Absolutely not, because if I'd earned the right to be forgiven, forgiveness would no longer be by grace, it would be wages, I'm justified by his grace, not because of who I am or what I've done. I'm justified by grace because of who he is. It's a gift he gives to me. Romans 3.24 says, and all are justified. In other words, the slate wiped clean by his 
grace. By your efforts, not by your efforts. There's nothing you can do to take a single sin off that chalkboard. God does it as a gift by, what's the word? Grace. Good. We're getting there. See, this is, this is a football moment for the church. You understand that? I want you to realize that grace is the very basis of, of Christianity. But now, just because I'm forgiven doesn't mean that I'm in a right relationship. I mean, we can, we can be all messed up and have all of our sins and they're, and they're wiped clean, but that doesn't mean that I've really got a relationship with God yet. It just means that now I can go mess them up again. I really want a relationship with God. We call that being saved. It means to be in a right relationship with God. And guess what? Here it is. I'm saved by what? Okay, now you're getting it. I am saved by His grace. Scripture says this, and He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by what? Grace that you have been saved. What have you done to be? Nothing. What have you done to earn it? Nothing. What have you done that will continue? Nothing. 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 God gives it to you. Not because you're great, you're not. Not because you're worthy, you're not. Not because you've earned it, he hasn't. Not because he sees the potential in you more than other people. No, he doesn't. You're just like everybody else. He hands it to you because that's the kind of God he is. He hands it to you by grace. And then, and then, now that, that I've been called and I've responded and I've been justified and I've been saved, now he provides every single good thing to me by what? Grace. Now, do you think you earned your living? Okay, you did. Wonderful. Where did you get the ability to earn your living? Where did you get the strength to do what you do? Where did you get the wisdom to do what you do? Where did you get the intelligence to do what you do? Guess what? All came from God, who gave it to you because of the word grace. <laughs> Take a look at this passage. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I look at all that I have. We've just recently uh, moved into a, a different home here in Salem, and um, it's amazing how much the stuff we have. It's phenomenal how much we have. It's how much, and we've given away so much, and we've sold some things. It's amazing how much we still have. <laughs> and I look at all of the great things that God has given to me, and I, every single good thing from the furniture I sit on, to the family that loves me, to the church that I get to lead, God has given by His grace. See what I mean when I say that this is the word that describes Christianity? It is. At the very basic core of Christianity is the word grace. Now, here's why grace is so much better word to, to describe it than, than anything else we're going to think of. Love of that. How about, ready? Here we go. Grace puts God right where he should be at the center of every. Christianity is God-centered. It is not us-centered at all. It's all about 
God. It's all about who he is. When we understand grace, it, it absolutely changes the way we live. It, it changes the way we play the game of life. It's the, this is the football moment for us. Grace. It's all about God. Why do you love me, God? God says, because of me, not because of you. Why do you call me to lead a church, God? He says, because of me, Doug, not because of you. Why do you give me all the great things that you give me, God? Because of me, Doug, not because of you. God is the center of everything when we understand grace. I've earned nothing. I deserve nothing. I get it all. Because of the word grace. Amazing, isn't it? Let me show you how it's going to change the way that you live. Grace is the cure for self-righteous arrogance. Can I tell you right now? There is no way. It is completely and totally impossible to fully embrace grace and be self-righteous and arrogant at the same time, it cannot possibly be done. If you have the tendency to be a self-righteous, arrogant individual, it is because you do not understand the word grace, because you can't do them both at the same time. See, the self-righteous, arrogant individual says, I'm great. But grace comes back and says, no, you're not. You're getting what you get because of God, not because of you. It has nothing to do with you and your gifting. It has nothing to do with your abilities. It has to do with God. How can we be self-righteous and arrogant? We look at our brothers and sisters or other people in the world or other religions and the lost, the, uh, the hurting, the broken, the homeless. And be self-righteous and arrogant. We have what we have because of God, not because of us. If our lives are better, it isn't because we're smart, it's because of God. And he's given us such a great opportunity. Given us the ability to capitalize on that opportunity. Everything I have. How about this? Grace is the cure for racism and bigotry. You can't embrace racism and bigotry and grace at the same time. Racism and bigotry is the type of thing that says, I am superior, my race is superior, my culture is superior to all other cultures out there, and everyone else should bow down to my culture. Stop and think about this one just for a moment, by the way. When we're racist, and um, racism is a tendency in all Human beings, I could go into detail, it's called ethnocentrism, isn't that a wonderful word? Write it down. Ethnocentrism, it just simply means that we have a tendency, every human being has a tendency to make whatever we are, who we are, where we live the best. That's why I think the Dodgers are the best team out there, even when they're not. And some of you live in a, in a small town, I lived in uh, Idaho for a long time, all these little small towns out there, there was Fruitland, there was Payette, there was all these kind of, you know, New Plymouth, all of them just knew that their town was the best, and they wanted to prove it on the football field. That was the amazing thing. And you know what? They're just towns. There's no difference between the towns, but they thought theirs was the best. That's because of ethnocentrism. That's our tendency. And we do it with our religions. We do it with our race. We do it with all the things that are important to us. 
you can't do that and understand grace. Because we're not better. Being white is just white. And if we, uh, if we can't embrace other colors and cultures, then you have to ask yourself this question. Do you believe that Satan has the power to create? And if you do, you're wrong. Come show me in Scripture any time that Satan actually creates something. Satan is a created being. He was not given the power of creation. Only God can create. Now, can you buy into that one so far? I hope so. <clears throat> if not, come see me and we'll talk about it. But if God is the only one who creates and we have a person who is um, black or we have someone who is Asian and the eyes are a little different and we have someone who is dark-skinned, who created that person? How dare you? ever look to God and say, what a terrible creation you have made. That's racism. God, I reject this black person that you created. You did such a bad job on them. Why didn't you make them white? Don't do that. At least if you do that, I want to stand very far away from you. Because I know what's coming. And yet that's racism. You see, when we understand grace, we understand that there's no such thing as a superior culture or a superior race. It doesn't exist. All of us have been created by God. We may have created our cultures, but all cultures are, are equally sinful. can't be a racist and a bigot and understand grace. Everything I have is a gift from God, not because I'm white. Grace is also the cure. You ready for this one? This may sound for, for the low self-esteem. Now, see, I said that grace was a cure for, for arrogance and self-righteousness, but it's also the cure for low self-esteem, and here's why. Some of you feel, really feel bad about yourself, and you say, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just unworthy, and here would be my answer. Yes, you are but no more so than anybody else. Of course you're unworthy, but so is the person sitting next to you. We all are. You're all in the same boat. We are all equally unworthy of God's love, but we all equally receive it, not based on what we've done or the color of our skin or our culture or where we live. We equally receive the love of God because of His, what's the word? Grace. Okay. So you are unworthy. If you're coming to me for counseling and you want me to tell you that you're not unworthy, I, I just end it right now. You are unworthy, okay? It is. It's true. But so am I. Look around. Right now, look around. Everybody, just go ahead. Go ahead. Look at everybody. You don't have to touch anybody. Just look around. See that? What you know what you see everywhere you look? Unworthy people of God's love. And yet, look around again. Look around again. Look around again. You know what you see now? People who get God's love because of His, what's the word? There you go. Yeah, you're getting it. The very essence of who we are. One final thing. Grace is the cure for that frantic search for meaning. Now, maybe you've never been in this particular place. Maybe you're one of those individuals who've kind of gone through your whole life and never even thought about why am I here and what's it all about and 
What's the real meaning in life? But I think most of us have at some point asked the question. And I put in the word frantic because sometimes many of us try so many different things to try, try to bring meaning into our lives and purpose into our lives. Why are we here? What am I supposed to be doing? In the book of Micah in the Old Testament, the prophet is talking about trying to understand what is it that really this life is all about. This is what he says. But he's already made a plain to how to live, what to do. And what God is looking for in men and women is quite simple. Do what's fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. Don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Here it is. My meaning in life and my purpose in life is not found in me. I will never be worthy. I'll never earn it all. My purpose in life, the reason I live, the meaning of my life is wrapped up in God who because of who he is gives me his love, protection, mercy, forgiveness, salvation, every good and perfect gift, friends, neighbors, here and forever eternal life. Not because of me or what I've done or will do, because that's who he is. My whole existence is wrapped up in amazing grace. That's what's looking for me. Let me show you this video before we go to Rob Selah. <laughs> 